Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. Aaron Phillips is with us via Zoom. Aaron, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Oh, well, thank you for having me. All righty. We're a family show. We like to get origin stories. How did you come up? Did you grow up here in Erie or are you a transplant in? No, I was born in Erie. Um, I grew up on 34th and French and then I left for college and sometime after and then I moved back to Erie probably around 2005 and 2006 and we bought our home in the West Bayfront area in 2009. Oh, cool. So you were West Bayfront before West Bayfront was cool, huh? I guess so. Is it cool now? I hope well, so. Well, yeah, it's, I hope so, right? I mean, there's a, you've got that that great organization down there and a great neighborhood. And so, all right. So, we are fabulous. And yes. So it sounds like you like to walk, right? You like to walk the neighborhood. And you yeah. find these incredible homes, like things that people just pass by in their commute every day. You see them. Uh, what got you interested in old houses? Well, I've always had uh, an affinity for old houses. It probably started when I was a kid. I remember I have magical childhood memories of going to the old public library. Mm-hmm. And uh, just my imagination would run wild. And living up on 34th and French, I used to ride my bike around in Glenwood Hills. And I would always admire those houses that look like castles. And I couldn't believe people got to live, live in those. Um, so I've kind of always enjoyed just the, the history of old houses. And then when we moved into our neighborhood and I had kids, oftentimes, you know, when I, I just had a baby, I'm walking around trying to get the baby to sleep in the stroller. And I was taking pictures of the pretty houses that I saw. And then I just decided to start sharing them one day. And it's really caught on and it's been a fun experience so far. Yeah, you, uh, you've, been, you've been taking pictures uh, through the old Erie on foot uh, Instagram account and uh, – I tell you what, it it is uh, it is remarkable. You have a lot of followers, thirty six hundred plus followers, and um, and you know you've got five hundred different pictures on the post. And I, I'm like I'm looking at this one here that again I probably have passed by a bazillion times. It's Sixth and German, uh, the Gracello right. Apartments. I, I mean, and when you look at it, it's just really well constructed it looks it looks pretty cool do you know any of the story there well i've always been curious about that building because it has a name and so i looked into it just briefly the other day and it's just always been apartments which is kind of neat and um it was you know they were built around i think around 1915 Mm -hmm. and they were advertised as like the height of modern luxury. They had fireplaces and hardwood floors, and they still do from what I hear today. Um, so it's just places like that that hold so much history in them that are just so commonplace that you drive past all the time. But I just always am so curious about what the story is. I can't help but look. Yeah, when you think about rolling back uh, 100 years ago of how people lived 100, 110 years ago, and Erie, again, just a little cursory knowledge of the history, 
Erie was a boom town then because uh, I want to say they announced right around this time GE was coming. They were they were recruiting people not only from across the country but literally across the pond. That's how a lot of your your Italians and Polish and you know a lot of different nationalities were recruited to come to Erie to work because we needed the workers and they had to have a place to live. And so uh, maybe not in those apartments that you pointed out on your Instagram post today, but uh, certainly, um, you know, you know, in the row houses and in, in the different, different areas that, uh, that people put up. So you, you think about places like by your neighborhood now, the, you know, the landmark apartments, you know, along 10th street there, and you know, boom! Right. You know, one after another after another, and you know the, you know the 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 plants were on Twelfth Street, so the you know maybe the the bosses lived on Tenth at on the Boulevard, and then you know other people. <laughs> it's just remarkable when you think about how how the density of the community kind of build up. For sure, and that happens all over the city. I looked into uh, an old factory called the Colby Piano Company um, that's over on the east side. And a lot of the houses that were built there were housed, were built to house the workers for that factory. Or like the Continental Rubber Works factory. A lot of that neighborhood exists because uh, of the people who needed to live nearby where they worked. So a lot of our uh, built history in terms of residential homes were constructed because of industry. So uh- – are are there not everybody's going to be able to go in and like try to restore a home to its original grandeur but uh, uh what what are some of the stories that you're seeing here in some of these homes i, I mean uh, i i mean are are you are, are you seeing that folks are able to kind of you know do some things like you know clean them up you know maybe they were a frat house or something like that i mean we're seeing that certainly on 6th street right i mean though there's incredible right. things going on there Yes, I I keep saying it's a very exciting time for historic preservation in Erie because there's such a concentrated effort by a few individuals to restore major architecturally significant buildings, mostly on 6th Street and on State Street as well. Um, But yeah, just in terms of the average everyday person's old house, um, that's one of my goals really with my Instagram account is to maybe encourage people to take on a house in the city and give it some love. Um, we live in an old house. Our house was built in 1886, and, you know, there's a laundry list of projects, but, you know, you do what you do, you do what you need to do to maintain the house and uh, retain as much of the character as you can while also living in the modern day and comfort and affordability. So. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm looking at um, uh, another one there on, um, you know, at the foot of Hess. So this is, I think this was a post right. from um, October 1st. And you found a- Right by the Land Lighthouse. Yes, a 1921 Craftsman Bungalow. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm really interested in, uh, and again, you always have to do is look at the old Erie on foot Instagram to, to look at these, what I'm describing here. But the the re- unique pillars in the architecture, like the, it's almost cantilever, isn't it? A little bit. I don't know. Maybe I'm not using the right terms here. What what caught your eye there? Well, just 
because I think in Erie, the amount of craftsman style houses is pretty minimal. We don't have that many. A lot of them are on Lincoln Ave. They're scattered here and there. Um, so that really stood out to me as being unique because you just don't often see very many craftsman houses in Erie. Um, and that one had such unique, yeah, the pillars, the windows, that the little roof line that was so unique uh, in that house caught my eye. And I just thought, well, somebody special must have lived there once. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually was the, the residence of Erie's first three-term mayor, Charles Barber, who also happened to be the brother of Gertrude Barber. That's amazing. Again, the Barber um, family is super well known here in our community. And Craftsman was that was that uh, again? I, I'm I'm terrible at at architecture, but the Craftsman movement. I want was that kind of focused out of Buffalo? Is that accurate or no? I am not sure. Okay. Um, like we said prior to the show, I'm not an, an architect. You know, I'm just yeah. I've learned a lot over the past few years in having this um, Instagram account. Um, but I'm not sure where it originated. Gotcha, gotcha. But you, you I know that a lot of oh, go ahead. Go, no, yeah, go finish, please. Well, I was going to say a lot of the craftsman homes in Erie were um, designed by this man, C. Paxton Cody, who was a pretty famous architect during his time, it, around the turn of the 20th century through 1920 or so. And he was responsible for a lot of the craftsman style houses that you see, like on Lincoln Ave and Frontier. Interesting. So there was an actual local uh, designer that would specialize in those things. Uh, it's yeah. very, very cool. Alrighty. So, so um, you went from it, you know, again, and you like to write. So talk about your writing and, and what draw, what kind of subjects draw you to writing for the reader? Right. So after I started my Instagram and started to get more into Erie history and Erie house history, I had an idea of writing a story about Lustron homes in Erie. They were manufactured kit homes, uh, you know, during post-war times, so mid-century, um, and about 2,000 of them still exist in America today, and Erie has a, a couple dozen. Um, and so I had this idea to write a history of Lustron homes in Erie. And say say that slowly. Reader. Say that slowly again. I'm sorry, uh, Aaron. It's it's Lestron. Yeah. Lestron. L U S T R O N. They're like they're made almost entirely of metal. Huh. They're very futuristic looking, um, and so I had this idea to write up a history of Lestrons in Erie and document a few of them, and I sent it to the reader, and they said, "Yes, wonderful." Also, can you write for us all the time? <laughs> so it just sort of happened like that. Um, I was an English and art history major in, in college, so I've always, you know, I've always had practice in writing, and I, I like to write. Um, so it just felt like a, a good fit, and I've been doing that for a couple years now, writing for the reader. You're, you're, um... I tend to focus. Go ahead. I tend to focus on the same subject matter that I focus on on my Instagram, which is, you know, old buildings that are, have either found a new purpose or being adaptively reused or, you know, businesses that have been as long established in old buildings, things like that. That's interesting. And you, and you do these, um, you, you do these walks, right? Have you ever led a walk? Well, this, summer, our West Bayfront, who you mentioned earlier, um, approached 
me and a few others from uh, the group, local preservation group, Preservation Erie, mm-hmm. to come up with a guided walking tour of uh, distinct architectural styles in the West Bayfront. So I worked on that uh, over the summer with Melinda Meyer and Dave Brennan, um, and we came up with uh, a good dozen or so examples of architectural significant styles off of Sixth Street. So houses you may not have noticed before or knew were particularly good examples of that style. Um, And then I tried to lead a walk, (laughs) but we got rained on and Mm. haven't been able to reschedule that since. Um, so I hope that's something I hope to do more in the future. Yeah, I, I, you know what really catches me as I look at your Instagram again. It's called Old Erie on Foot. Is you just have this eye to catch things that I would just like totally walk past and not be, not think that they were remarkable at all. And and I'm I'm like I mean I'm just wondering how you're how you're catching that. You know I'm looking at the the. Uh, you know, this was back in what was it in the summer, June fourth. There's this house behind Whippy Dip, right? I mean, to me, it looks right. very unremarkable. But you're like right. built in 1857, belonged to the Seabold family, and I mean, you and you tell the whole story. Really, that's. I mean, I mean, that's really what's uh, you know just as pertinent is in addition to the roof lines and and the. Um, Maybe the, you know, the the lead window, you know, the lead points in the windows, but it's the story behind these, the the people, right? Absolutely. That's that's what drives me to do what I do. Is the story? Every old building has a story, even if it just belonged to a regular family just doing their thing. I just feel like I, I feel in some way sentimental towards old houses because I feel like those stories are what makes house what it is and I just can't help but try and figure out what they are every time I see an old house but that house specifically the one by the cemetery behind Whippy Dip mm-hmm. I notice you can there are certain things and I, I notice them because I look for them now right. which might be why you know your average person wouldn't necessarily pick out that house but there are certain clues where you can look at a house and just know that it's old even if it doesn't look particularly old from the outside or is you know, has been remuddled over the years with aluminum or something like that. (laughs) You know, there's brick or stone foundations, there's chimneys, sometimes there's wood windows left that you can see, and it just gives you a little spark that, oh, that's probably old. Yeah, yeah. again, the one that you're referring to, they they put some kind of wrap around that doesn't look like it was original, you know what I mean? Um, And so many people own a house, when a house is, uh, you know, almost, Two three hundred years old. Somebody has so many people have owned that home, mm-hmm. so they all put their little mark on it. Sure, sure. So it's not like it's good or bad. It just is because somebody had to live there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes, it's part of the story of the house. I think. You also did an article for the reader about the eerie landlight. Now, this is not the one that we see as as much. You're right. It's at the foot of the Lighthouse Street. Um, Uh, What did you learn about the Land Lighthouse? Well, yeah, like like you said, we often see the other lighthouses without even trying because, you know, you visit Presque Isle and it's Mm -hmm. right there. Um, But the Land Lighthouse, I think, was Erie's kind of forgotten lighthouse, but it's the oldest one, and I think it's the prettiest. It's made of this 
Berea sandstone and it has these this very striking iron staircase inside. Um, but that was fun to just learn about the history. It was the first lighthouse lit on the Great Lakes, actually. So really? it holds that special distinction wow. too. Yes. There was another one in Buffalo that was built at the same time, but ours was the first one lit on the Great Lakes. I'm I'm looking at one of your pictures here. I, again, I I don't know where you found it, but it, it's remarkable. Um, uh, of 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 it just kind of right over the bluff there, you know, an an ancient picture there. Because uh, again, you right. you have to really go and to try to find it um, in in modern times here. In what is it, 1867 is is the right. is the impression there. That's that's surprising that we didn't have lights on the on the Great Lakes, you know, pre Civil War, right? I mean, that's that's remarkable yes. to me. Yes, and and different, you know, different businessmen in Erie lobbied for them for years because it was really dangerous, you know, <laughs> especially with textile and how it shifted. There were a lot of ships that ran aground or were wrecked because they just didn't see it coming. So, I've got about three minutes before important. my bottom of the hour break. I want to kind of wrap this part of our conversation up with uh, maybe you can give us some pointers here. And so uh, I was I was going to tell you that, you know, 34th and French is on my walking trail because I live in that Mercyhurst neighborhood. And so I have about three or four different uh, tracks that I, I do my morning walk in. And so I I probably walk past your uh uh, you know where you grew up about uh, once or twice a week, and uh, and I do love going up south on state to those mansions, right? I mean, um, right. It, and it seems like those were all built uh, during a certain time, you know, uh, you know the whole Glenwood neighborhood. So those those a lot of those places get a lot of attention. But you're saying, hey, if you go in the nooks and crannies. Of neighborhoods, you can find some gems. I'm interested in places like, you know, where the doctors used to live, you know, when they built St. Vincent's 100 years ago or more and, and other places like that, you know, old Polish or old uh, Russian neighborhoods, the old Italian neighborhoods and so on. So tell, give us some pointers here in the next minute and a half. In terms of finding finding interesting, interesting things or what to look for or, you know, you know, making a route. Right. Well, I don't think there's a street in Erie that doesn't have an interesting building on it. Mm. Um, a lot of the a lot of the homes, especially in the city, are older, you know, and there are different pockets. Sometimes I'll just drive down a street and there'll be nondescript houses. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's like. Like, for example, that house, I don't I'm not sure if you know it offhand, but that house on Auburn Street. Um, there's one just house that stands out among a lot of those little Baldwin houses. And mm. it's this giant looming italianate house that just comes out of nowhere and so i guess what i would just say is you know go off your beaten path and just look look up while you're walking around and see what you might be able to find um because they're everywhere and they all like i said they all have a story so. yeah again and i'm thinking about in your old neighborhood there if you go on some of those side streets 35th uh, 36th between Holland and French, there's some remarkable architecture there. Some, some really strong, you know, high peaks, and uh, I mean, there, there was just, there was just a lot of creativity. And and you did have your your Baldwin houses and and so on. And it seems like a lot of those were 
down in uh, in the West Bayfront there in the Frontier neighborhood, you know, one after another after another. Or, uh, uh, you know, or east of where he grew up, east of Pine Avenue, one after another after another, all the same footprint. But those are a, a bit more recent, I would think. But Aaron, you you decided to take on Axe Murder Hollow. First off, were you afraid? Were you very afraid to, to do this story? <laughs> what do you think? Well, you, I mean, yeah. Axe Murder Hollow's been a been a legend in Erie, you know, since my parents were little, maybe even before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just thought, you know, maybe I'll look into it and see if any if I can come up with anything that would explain where this story that's been such a big part of almost every Erieite's life came from. All right. So you, you mentioned in the article that the first time you found Axe, the quote Axe Murder Hollow mentioned in the Erie paper was, uh, you know, right around the war in 1945 when the Harbor Creek High School football team went out to look for it and that they saw some kind of uh, of an aberration um and uh you know of course you know that's only a couple uh, 20 years before we you know the the monster came to Presque Isle but that's a whole other talk topic but um so so yeah just kind of tell us about what you learned as you did your research here right so I mentioned to you during the break that one of my major resources um, for finding information is are the uh, newspaper archives available through the Erie County Public Library's website, the digital newspaper articles. Um, I have to give a shout out here to my fellow Erie reader contributor and internet friend, Jonathan Burdick of mm-hmm. Rust and Dirt, who turned me on to that resource in the first place. Yep. Um, but I just searched for Axe Murder Hollow, and that you know that was the first story that came up, and then everything sort of snowballed from there in terms of the information I was able to uncover. Um, I read one article in around 1960, I think, in the 1960s, um, was an interview with Harper Rusterholtz, whose family owned a lot of land out in that area along Millfair Road, and he mentioned the name Billy was a hermit that all the kids were scared of that lived in the hollow. And so that was sort of a clue that put a put a little, you know, thought into my head, like, hmm, I wonder if this Billy was an actual person. Wow. And I wonder who he was. Um, and so then another Internet resource I use all the time is findagrave.com. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a national register of all grave sites in the United States. Um, and I looked in the nearby cemetery there, and there were about 350 names, and I scrolled through all the names, and there was only one name, William, and that's where I came up with this theory. That's all started this theory about this man, William Gack, who lived in the area of Axe Murder Hollow around the turn of the, turn of the 20th century. Interesting. And, and so you say that uh, William Gack uh, um... – was a kid when they came over from Germany in, in 1891. And uh, w- w- take the story from there. Well, his family, they were farmers. And, uh, you know, they set up in West Mill Creek there, southwest Mill Creek, doing doing the farm work. And then I think it was around 1917 when William, when their, well, his father died closer to the turn of the century. But um, around 1917, their house burned down. 
um, and they had to be displaced for a while. It was in the middle of the winter before they were able to rebuild. Um, but it said specifically in the newspaper that all that remained was a stone foundation. And that was a point where I was just like, that's got to be the guy. Yes. <laughs> right? So, right. Because, because I don't know if you've ever, I mean, I don't think that stone foundation is there anymore, but for years and years, that was the spot of, of Axe Murder Hollow, you know, where yeah. people would go to get scared on that. But, but they, so. the, uh, the, you know, the exposed chimney and uh, fireplace is, is, is like the marker of Axe Murder Hollow, right? Right. And who wouldn't be scared by that if you're walking <laughs> through the woods, you know? Yes, yes. And people's imaginations run wild from there. Um, like I say in the article, this man, William, was likely just a regular guy. But that's, that's the story that, that I, mean, I think every legend is based in truth, right? So mm. that might have been the, just a nugget of truth is that this man, his house burned down. And then when his house burned down, it seems at that point he sort of gave up farming on census reports since then. It, he was listed as a his occupation was listed as a butcher. Okay. And so then that just contributes to the story because then a few years later, when he's in a different home, likely nearby where the house burned down, um, a couple of kids broke into his house. Oh my! In the middle of the night on in the winter time, and I just can't imagine what those kids experienced there. You know, they got caught. He was home, so they and he detained them before the police could arrive out in the middle of nowhere in the winter time. Mm-hmm. And you know, he probably has his butcher accoutrements hanging in his house, and uh, I'm sure that when they got back from their uh, juvenile detention center or wherever they went after that, <laughs> that they told some pretty crazy stories about the man they encountered, and you know, perhaps he even had an axe. So that's you know that could be for me in terms of coming up with a theory that seemed the most reasonable. Interesting. So, so you do you do mention the book Ghosts of Erie County with this whole uh, narrative about gypsies you know roaming through Mill Creek and uh, the leader of the clan finding out that his wife had been cheating on him and. Uh, and you know he cuts off the wife's head with an axe, and the, I mean I remember that kind of being what I what I grew up with. How about you? Did you grow up with that? I don't remember the gypsy part, but definitely somebody like you know it was like a revenge murder kind of thing. Sure, and I think that's usually the story that gets told over and over again is that it was an angry husband with an unfaithful wife, and he just loses it and murders their whole family with an axe. That's that's more the story I heard growing up, um, but I scoured the newspaper articles <laughs> right. from as early as I could for any mention of murder, Thomas Road, Staring, any of that area, and I read so many. I mean, this really took over my life for a good month or so. I read so many articles trying to find any kind of report of someone actually murdering their family with an axe in that area, and there's none. So I feel like that part of the story was embellished from something that someone else experienced, perhaps those two kids who broke into mm-hmm. the, uh, William Gack's house way back when. So so you also report that there was actually – that someone who knew about Axe Murder Hollow did do a really heinous act in the 60s. 
and use that right. area, right? Can you talk about that? Right. So um, Marilyn Crotty was murdered um, after going on a blind date um, with Daniel Bybekhauser. He he was not uh, not a well man, um, and he. I think the story is that he made unwanted advances on her, and when she refused, then he murdered her in a very brutal way, um, and then ended up dumping her body at Axe Murder Hollow. It's just and I'm just not sure awful. what the motivation for doing that was. Yeah. Um, but this story, I mean, if somebody's a true crime writer out there, they should definitely look into the story because there are very graphic details that were printed in the newspaper during the trial. I mean, it was it was probably in the forefront of everyone's mind for a while because it was in the paper constantly and it was very graphic and upsetting. And so I'm sure that that contributed to the overall disease that people would feel when they're in that area of Mill Creek, knowing that her body was laying there for a couple of days at least. So so you, you fast forward, and of course, Mill Creek has been developed almost fully now. And so you've, right. got, you've got this area that's got ball fields and so on, right? Yes. Lots of new construction and you know Westlake has expanded their uh athletic fields there and or Walnut Creek I'm sorry and um yeah it's not scary at all when you drive down Thomas Road these yeah. days yeah so so th- this story here you you add this story to you know they're they're boiling the bones of uh Matt Anthony Wayne you've got uh uh, you know, you've got the ghosts at the Union Station and other, you know, places. Um, we've kind of got like a, a pretty rich history for kind of spookiness here in Erie, don't we? Sure, we have some legends. <laughs> I I think some of these houses that you find, especially the ones that like have the cupolas or the towers, you always wonder, well, what what's going on in that tower? Aaron. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. There, I remember there was a house. Yeah, that, well, like yeah. I, no, go ahead. I was going to say there was a house. There was a, a fellow that uh, I visited when I was a teenager um, uh, that I think lived on 21st. And and he, he had one of these towers like one. I don't know. I don't know what you would call them, but it was like a third or fourth story, like an overlook. And mm-hmm. it's like. I don't want to go up there, you know, and there's stories about sounds and, you know, lights and things like that. And I'm I'm not a big, you know, scary kind of guy, but like, man, it, you know, it kind of gets into your head. Go ahead. You, you had a thought. Sure. And I think that's part of what makes old houses so interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, because so many people have lived and potentially died there, that just contributes to their story. And you know, you can choose to be creeped out. <laughs> I mean, especially if you're in an an old turret at, in the middle of the night and you hear, right. you know you hear creaks and rattles and things like that. Yeah. Um, especially in an old house, our house makes noises all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, a strong wind blows and it shakes a little bit. Um, but I just think that's part of what makes old houses so magical is that you know they have had so many people that have come before who have made their lives there and raised their children there and had so many experiences there that it's just 
I think it's just interesting to be a part of a house's story like that. I would have loved for you to have seen uh, the house I grew up in, which has been torn down. It was uh, on West 18th Street in Little Italy there. And, you know, uh, my folks left the neighborhood in 1986 and, um, you know, kind of went into disrepair and it needed to come down. But, uh, it, you know, it was this massive 10-room 10, 10 house where, uh, bef- you know, I don't know if it was be- right before us or a couple – Owners before us was a was a a dentist that would see his patients in the house. You know what I mean. So he had oh, like wow. a, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he he used the front the front uh, the front living room to be his examining room. I mean, just you know, people did that kind of stuff in the day. You know, where you basically oh, for sure you did your trade right in in your house, whether you were a. Um, you know, whether you were a physician or, you know, a barber or it's just it's just remarkable, you know, how we've changed how we do things just in the in the modern way. And so we have these strip malls everywhere. And, and who knows how many of these these old houses that we've missed. Uh, let, let's spend our last couple of minutes together to talk about your work with Preservation Erie. We've had those folks on before on the show. And um, the idea is to save as many as is is smart to save not not every house like you mentioned you know you know the 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 row houses of the Baldwins you know it would be good to have, make sure we keep a few of them but you know if somebody wants to put something bigger on there it's not going to it's not going to destroy the you know the makeup of the neighborhood um but uh, what 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 is uh what's the the current drive right now for preservation area are are we kind of hitting some of the goals that the organization has right well we're an all-volunteer organization so everybody has you know very busy lives and so we try to accomplish Mm -hmm. as much as we can um in in the amount of time and in the skill set that we have um we spend a lot of time with uh you know different communities throughout erie and helping them obtain grant monies for certain projects like Mission Main Street or Renaissance Block grant programs. That's a big, a big part of it. Um, we also spend a lot of time um, helping and encouraging uh, national register listings yeah. of different historic properties or uh, historic districts and things like that. Um, we have the Greater Erie Awards, which we give out every year and which we're going to be announcing here very soon within the next coming week or two weeks. Um, where we really acknowledge the the good preservation that's going on and people who are really going out of their way to make sure that they honor and uh, preserve the built history of Erie. Um, So that's kind of exciting. Um, And we, um, and I would say probably three or four months ago, we published our endangered properties list. Oh, wow. um, Listed some of the more, uh, some of the, the structures in Erie and properties in Erie that are in immediate danger of being demolished. Um, generally, as an individual, there's and even as a group, there's not a whole lot you can do when a property owner decides that they want to knock down a building. Mm-hmm. Um, but raising awareness and making people care and getting neighborhoods involved and things like that is what is what we can do to help. Neat, neat. Last couple minutes here with Aaron Phillips. Do you have a favorite neighborhood? I know you live in West Bayfront, but is there like a, a, a you know is there like a favorite part of town that you just like 
are, you know, just are so fascinated by? Well, there's, like I said, there's different pockets everywhere and you can always find an interesting house no matter where you are. Uh, definitely the West Bayfront takes it for me. I love living here and I love walking around and even after having lived here for so long, I can walk and see something I hadn't noticed before. Um, I just think the most important thing for, for people who are interested in this thing, interested in old houses or finding them or discovering them is to just get out of your car and take a walk because yeah. you can notice so much more when you move at human speed as a, you know, as yeah. opposed to flying past in your car as you just go to work every day. Um, but yeah, the West Bay front takes it for me just in terms of the variety of architecture yeah. and the styles and how, and the history of the area is, is so interesting as well. Yeah. And, and not only do you have the Bay rats and you have, you know, but you have new Jerusalem down in there. And so, I mean, there's a exactly, lot of, yes. a lot of different diversity that goes on there and we have to make sure that we, that we're not so city centric. You can find really gorgeous old homes in many of the boroughs too. And so I'm thinking of union Most city, definitely. you go to, you go out union city. I don't know if it's high street or main street, but uh, I mean, just gorgeous, you know, different pieces of architecture certainly northeast is a wow you know in a lot of their I neighborhoods love northeast yeah i always said if i didn't live in the city I, and i lived in the county i would choose to live in northeast absolutely it's just got such great character and so many great buildings and i was just in gerard yesterday mm -hmm. and boy they have such a, a darling main street there and some really beautiful big historic homes too yeah if we could figure out a way to you know you know, modernize some of the systems, right? The HVAC and the water and the electric, without destroying the character of these homes. Uh, uh, they'll be they'll be around for generations to go because they they don't build them like they used to, Aaron. Right? No, they don't. It's true. <laughs> oh, Aaron Phillips. We're so glad that you joined us. Erin Phillips, contributing author with The Eerie Reader. Again, you need to follow her. Be one of the thousands that are following her on Instagram. Old Eerie on foot. It is a fascinating uh, display of, of uh, residential architecture in our community. We appreciate you taking the time, and I hope that you have a great weekend, Erin. Well, thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com. <laughs>